Hi everyone, this is Austin Arrington, your host of Talk Dirty, and today we'll be talking with Stu Demont on traditional ecological knowledge. So Stu, do you think you could introduce yourself for the podcast? Uh, yeah, my name's um, Stu Demont. I'm an associate professor at State University of New York, College of Environmental Science and Forestry. And I, I'm in the Department of en, uh, Environmental and Forest Biology, uh, where I teach ecosystem restoration, uh, systems ecology, um, environmental science, and do research uh, with uh, uh, on ecosystem restoration, but also traditional ecological knowledge and agroecology. Um, and really kind of think about how humans and the environment come together, how we can, how we can be part of nature. Um, maybe again, might be the right, right way of, of putting that. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before I went to ESF and I think, you know, heard you and Robin Kimmerer and others, I don't think I was too aware of traditional ecological knowledge. So maybe you want to tell the listeners, what, what TEK is? Yeah, I mean, so traditional ecological knowledge um, really is, it's, it's, it, you can approach it in a number of different ways and kind of think about it in a number of different ways. I mean, it's a, certainly a body of knowledge um, that is uh, non-centralized. I mean, it's, it's every location and every place where people have interacted with the environment and live with the environment, uh, they slowly uh, accumulate uh, knowledge about that, about that place and about the ecosystem and about how to manage the ecosystem, how to uh, live within the ecosystem. And, and, and when you put all those together, all the, whether it's, and in my mind, at indigenous and, and local, it's really everyone who's connected with the place. And you put all that together, well, that's traditional ecological knowledge. And often we've been even taking out the ecological and just thinking about as traditional knowledge because there's so many, so many forms of traditional knowledge that are not necessarily um, ecological. I mean, it's like right now we're looking at uh, weather indicators and how uh, a community in uh, the Lacando Maya community in, in in southern Mexico how they they look at indicators of uh, whether it's plants or birds or insects but also also uh, halos around the sun and the moon and how they how they determine when it's going to rain because of that well because if you look at the sun and the moon we I wouldn't necessarily call that an in uh, those halos, an ecological indicator, and so so oh, for this people to kind of think about it as traditional knowledge. Also, looking at um, women's role is another another uh, w- other work that we've been doing, looking at women's role in the in the agroforestry system, this traditional agroforestry system, the Lac and Dome, and and how that continues into the kitchen. And so, as you manage in the kitchen, how you're actually affecting the forest and how the forest comes to affect what's in the kitchen. And, uh, and of course, that's, that's not, I wouldn't say that that's ecological either necessarily in the kitchen, although we are part of the larger ecosystem. So you could, depends on how you, you define your terms, you could think about it as, as ecological. So we've really been um, thinking about um, 
you know, really thinking about uh, how we're part of nature, but really thinking about the knowledge structures and the different types of knowledge structures. And now another part of it, it's not just, you know, physical understanding of a place, but, but it's, it can be a, a spiritual understanding of a place. And that spiritual understanding and how, how you maintain that place, and sometimes that spiritual connection is critical to that place, that ecosystem, that nature, that, that giving that, that, that nature gives, um, that it continues. So if you don't have that spiritual connection, then maybe you don't care for your nature as much as you as you should it's to for for yourself frankly you take away from yourself in the long term mm. um so i'd say all of that is part of of traditional knowledge and i generally think about it as as knowledge that's that can be indigenous knowledge that people in there and for a very very long time thousands of years or people who are there for a shorter time and who have really come to connect with that place so that local knowledge and that's also part of traditional knowledge that's that's really fascinating when you're talking about place it's making me think about the role of the researcher and when i think about you what is so unique in meeting you because I, I got to go down with other students to chiapas mexico and and with Stu and help with his research and like you have been working with a uh, family for, I mean, uh, decades. I mean, you have embedded yourself in the place. And I think that a lot of times when we're talking about research, especially when people are involved, um, we can have complicated feelings about that. And there's, there's, there's a lot of baggage with that. But I think that there's a way to do that in which the researcher is like part of the place. And I wonder if you have thought about that. Yeah. I actually, I think about that. Uh, I think about that a lot when, um, and I, this actually just today, uh, a, a student uh, defended her her thesis and um, a wonderful thesis. Talking, you know, I mentioned before, thinking about women's role in in the agroforestry and and as we were thinking and coming up with this work, it was it was communicating, um, sharing with her. Um, and having these conversations about, look, you're, you're going to work in a place and um, you're going to get to know people and they're going to become your, your friends. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. Um, that's a good thing because you're connecting to where you're at. And not, not only does that help you to do um, work that is, that is more beneficial for that community and more beneficial for science. Um, but by connecting, you're, you're, just, you're just a better person. You're, you're, you're not extracting, you're not there just to take. And, um, and we shouldn't be there to take as researchers. We should always be thinking about what we're what we're giving and what we're, what we're, what we're sharing and gaining permission for that sharing. And all of that comes from, as you talk about an embedded being of that place that maybe it's not your home. It's, I'm never going to, the different 
communities that I've worked in, and particularly in uh, in Lakanha, where I've worked for a very long time, it will never be my home. Um, but it is a place that I care deeply about. And, and that allows us to continue our work relationship because there's trust associated with that. We, we, we need to be able to trust each other and love each other and care for each other. And that's vital to, to just doing good work. Wow, man, <laughs> this is uh, this is deep. This is really deep stuff, and um, it's amazing to think about the the level of human emotion and and love that even plays into scientific investigation. Um, it's really making me have a lot of thoughts. I I want to switch gears kind of and and think about other another place, um, New York, <laughs> where you're at. You're in Syracuse, and earlier in the show we talked with uh, Tomac about some of the research going on. So um, maybe you could talk a little bit um, how you got involved with Ashmita as well as uh, Tomek and, and some of the other people in the group um, around, you know, now we're researching community gardens and, and what's going on with that. Yeah. So these are, um, that's a, just a, uh, it's, I think it's really important that we, we think about what we learn when we visit places um, that are um, like Lakanha and thinking, well, what do I, what do I, what have I learned from working with the Lakandon Mayan with other Mayan groups and, and a Zapotec and other, other, what do I, what have I learned about how we interact with, with nature, how we become part of nature and, and, and what are, I guess, what are some things that, that I want to share with, with my home? So I live, I, I live in Syracuse, New York. Um, my home is in Syracuse, New York, my family. And, and, and my, I, I have very close friends. And I'm very close to, to, to Syracuse. That's my a really adopted home. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, but still my adopted home. I've been here for about 11 years. And I just, and I appreciate what is Syracuse. And Syracuse is a gritty place. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, um, it's a place where, where people have deep roots. Many, um, our, my next door neighbor, uh, uh, she went to school uh, just down, you know, you know, about a mile away from her current home. And she actually grew up in the home across the street. Um, and, and her mother still lives there and her sisters live down the street. And, and so you see, it's a very, it's a place where people, people are, and, but then they're immigrants to the community as well. And, and Syracuse, because it's a, a, a deep populating um, because there's, there's slow depopulation because it's a, it's lost a lot of its industry. Um, we have refugees from all over the world who come to, to Syracuse. There's extreme poverty in Syracuse. Um, 
And so it's just this, this mixture. And, and so I always, I always have felt very close to, to, to this idea of urban ecosystem restoration and how we do that, how we take these, this place where we live, people and, and, and nature and trees and um, parks and streams and how we connect ourselves to the nature around us and 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 one of the ways that i've seen again and again and again in communities throughout the world is 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 this connection through food and and uh, a, a researcher uh research scientist at the forest service marla emery in the northeast forest service she talks about how when we we eat from our environment we connect to that environment when kids eat from the environment it's particularly vital they just connect to that environment for the rest of their lives. And I wanted, and I saw that with, with, with community in, in Latin America and, and elsewhere. And I said, well, why can't it be here too? Why can't we be thinking about that? And then I, I looked around and there were other people who were thinking about that. Um, you have um, Matt Potaker in, in landscape architecture at, 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 at Syracuse, at, I'm sorry, at, at ESF, uh, where I am. And, and then you have food studies folks at, at Syracuse University. And then you have, uh, you, you have Syracuse Grows, which is an organization at Syracuse looking at community gardens. It's like, wow, people are really thinking about this and how can we think about it and, and work through how we create a place with food all around us. And that's what we, we've been doing, uh, working with Ani Bellows, I've been mean, working very closely with Ani Bellows and in, in, at Syracuse University in food studies and Matt Potaker and of course uh, Tomek who you talked to earlier at, at Cornell and, and, and others and, and kind of thinking about well, how we create food landscape. And one way of course is, is community gardens. So you have gardens and, 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 and you can connect and so a Shemitah as, as a graduate student and thinking about well how do we interact with our gardens and what's really in, important in that interaction what else do we gain from that interaction the other ecosystem services so we've been finding out that that gardens first of all are a very important time of of community during during um events like we're in the middle of right now, the pandemic is, is the community garden can be a place of connection with others and a place of, of, of peace. And those are so important. We get to connect with others, have peace and then connect with nature. And then we're also looking at a food forest. So thinking about, well, how we actually restore whole landscapes of food. And I'm not saying that this is, you know, food around us and community gardens and food forests or the trees, like growing trees with fruits and nuts. And working, we're working with the park service and like uh, Steve Harris with the park service, kind of thinking about this. And, and Kat Korba with Onondaga Earth Corps. A lot of people thinking about this. We're thinking about it with, with uh, uh, Syracuse neighborhood and business development. So how these food landscapes can lead to economic opportunity too. Um, and um, so all of these things as they come together and, and how you do that, we've been 
been meeting with people, talking with people, interviewing with people. We've also been doing assessments of biodiversity. So uh, Jess Chorofsky is, is analyzing bird communities. She's a master's student, student working with me right now, analyzing bird community associated with fruit trees. So uh, we're looking at uh, we're looking at mulberry and serviceberry, and the fruit and the the um, and the birds associated with that. With another student we're uh, 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 we're looking at um, uh, Julia Rushton. We're looking at uh, at pollinators and bees, and and, and uh, Garrett Maynard is looking at at uh, another graduate uh, graduate student looking at how. Um, how buckthorn and uh, an invasive species if it were removed and replaced with food forest, what that would look like, and could there be a competitive advantage? So I kind of went off on a lot of different things, um, but I, but but the idea is connection to place and how we connect and when we connect to place through food. How 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 that is really a developing form of traditional knowledge and what effect that has on our urban ecosystem, which we're starting to see and, and, and think about from, from, from Jess's work and Ashmita's work, Julia's work. And, and, and so, and then of course, towards your work, uh, looking at, at how we harvest, um, and who's harvesting, and how that relates to um, to poverty, how that relates to to um, to um, you know opportunity, access, and and Avalon's Avalon Bungie's work as well, mm -hmm. looking at how much is there right now. So there's a lot, a lot of different ways yeah. we can, we can we can approach this mm -hmm. um, and and think about it. And it. and it all relates, it all relates, although um, it may seem tangential, mm -hmm. but to me it seems completely direct. It all relates to the, to the traditional ways that people interact with their ecosystems throughout the world. And this is a way in urban areas for thinking about this and working like this and interacting like this and living like this a, with a deep connection to our environments, with a deep connection to nature in an urban setting. Yeah, oh, man, that's um, so interesting. Um, I, oh gosh, there's so, there's so much to talk about here. Um, I would love to kind of understand more what sort of insights maybe you've gained from working with the Maya, who such a deep, deep cultural knowledge of restoration. And have you thought about, are there, are there ways to abstract that knowledge within America, within this American context? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that food, is one way of doing that. I, I think there, there are two, well, okay, there, there's several different things that I think that are um, just, 
just valuable across landscapes um, or important to, I should say, really important to consider across landscapes. Um, one is that, that you need to have a tangible benefit. Like, like, and food's a really, really good one because it's like, well, you know, you can eat from food. Um, you can eat from the food in nature. So it's like, wow. And, and you can see that happening right away. And you look at traditional landscapes throughout the world and food or some other resource, but usually food are, are, are critical. They're, they're always there um, with, with very few exceptions. The other that I, I think is really extraordinary about the Lacandonmaya agroforestry system, and it's not true in all agroforestry systems, which you see in a lot, is this idea of succession. This idea that, that a landscape, and you look at, okay, you look at, 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 at successional dynamics in an ecosystem, and let's say you have an area that's, that's, that's cleared. Um, and the forest cover is, is removed. Well, you're going to have um, grasses or, or herbaceous species that will come up fast. And those, 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 those plants that are selected for, for quick growth, to gather, gather um, um, resources quickly and grow. And then they'll be replaced by a next successional stage, maybe a shrub stage. Or, uh, it, depends on the, it depends on the ecosystem what comes in and which plant community comes in. And then, then with forest and of course in, in, in deserts, you'd have a very different successional, um, uh, successional system. And then, then of course there'll be a stress event and it'll be returned. And, and you often have areas that, that are going through multiple successional stages um, in, in a very small area where it's a wind blow and so trees um, are knock over and so then grasses will come up in that area but not in the neighboring forest. But you see these successional changes and, and nature is just moving. It's always, always in action. And, and that, that, is not, that is not the way we tend to think with our landscape management. Uh, whether it's, a, whether it's a, a farm field, we might let something go into fallow, so we let let it go into another another grassy species or or the legume or something like that. But we won't allow it to go to forest and then come come back again. But in Lacandon Maya agroforestry, you have this movement, this change always happening. It's a super dynamic system. And if you look at at um, the uh, the Anandaga Nation here, the historical ecology of of Anandaga, I say here on uh, in Syracuse. And the tribe, uh, the Onondaga tribe, how they manage their ecosystem, and look at Catherine Landis's work with the historical ecology. It's similar. This dynamic ecosystem, and 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 always changing. These wetlands always in motion. So so that's the that's the the second thing. The, the succession and the dynamics of an ecosystem, and how you embrace that in your ecosystem management. The third one is um, that I think is really important and they kind of tie into each other is this, is this ethical connection. So really a deep connection with landscape 
um, a spiritual connection with a place. And, and that, I think, is critical. And it, it, one drives the other, not sure which is causing which, but, but how we come to connect with where we are, with the nature that is around us, um, with us as nature, is critical. And, and it's critical of, uh, of the Lakando Maya and, and many other Mayan groups that I've worked with in Zapotec. It's, it's like, you see this. You see this in the way people talk about the environment. You, th- you see it in terms of animism. Like, like nature is alive. Uh, nature, and you can even say, has personhood. And, and, and so that is a critical place to, for us to get to. And, and in getting to that, it really, we might have to reconsider our laws um, and how, we, how we, we, we give rights, uh, and maybe the rights of nature. Um, but we definitely need to reconsider respect and what it means to respect and care for that, care for nature. So yeah. there's so much here, right? In terms of, of what I think we need to do. Um, the trick is doing it, right? And how we do that? What are the small steps we need to take? And that's frankly why I love—I truly love community gardens because I kind of get at all of that, right? Um, you're changing a maybe not as much. You don't see trees going up, but you are seeing changes even through the season. Um, and you're allowing in some of the less controlled community gardens, you're allowing succession to happen in small ways. Um, and even that, so the agroecological interactions that go beyond um, control, where, where we're, we're allowing different organisms to interact rather than just killing everything, like with a pesticide or herbicide. And that sort of, that sort of interaction that's, is, is, is kind of tied in with, with successional changes. So, so those are those are a few lessons. Um, yeah, I think there's something when you're talking about space and what are next steps. Like, I think there's maybe some practical movements that we can make in terms of urban forestry and just cities' uh, acceptance and culture around urban foraging to 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 think about the diverse set of resources an urban forest can provide like why can't i harvest boughs and make a hockey stick or a broom for my house or maybe peel some bark and make a medicine um you know and then so like you said community gardens i think parks you know parks are another place to think about where maybe some successional dynamics might play out and how do those dynamics also affect the other organisms in the biodiversity of that area. Um, so I think, I guess what I'm saying is, can we get to a culture of, of using our resources in an urban forest in the same level that the Lacandon Maya 
use their resource. Um, and it's a process of giving and taking, right? It's not, use is probably not the right word, but um, I, I do think that part of this answer is like activating the space and like connecting with the plants. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I definitely, I like a, I like the phrase activating the space and thinking of it as active because we, when when you were talking, I thought about how we definitely do use the spaces. We we, you know, we go and and we play soccer or or play baseball or we go for a walk, have a picnic, um, and so the spaces are active in many ways. Um, I feel like we need to. As you say, you know, think about resources, but think about how those spaces can be so can be meaningful in other ways. And and I even think about so with the project that I described, where uh, buckthorn, inv this invasive species, is being removed, or we're removing it and replacing it with food forest to kind of see how the food forest um, acts competitively. Um, with the buckthorn against the buckthorn, and um, and I think about that buckthorn. Well, it's, you know, buckthorn is a really nice wood. It makes it makes great staffs, and so how you know, it'd be wonderful to kind of take that and go. Well, this removal that we're doing. Well, let's not waste this. Let's not just chip this, which it probably will end up doing, just cutting it and put it into a chipper and then it goes, it gets composted. And so at least it's used in some way, but that's a shame. And this is high value staff wood, you know, for walking staffs. Um, what if we, what if we teamed with an artisan or we teamed with, with um, a company that was like making uh, canes or staffs and how do we, how do we, how do we do that? And um and, and but that's that's something to when you're thinking about your parks in a different way. Like you no, know, we're just not just trying to clear space here so people can walk because that's what you typically will say. Well, people are upset with the buckthorn thicket because it's like I oh, can't walk through the area. Well, you no, know, but that's actually that's actually there's a lot there in that buckthorn thicket. Yeah. And I, I think it's important for the audience to know that when we're talking about the the Mayan kind of the management of these different stages of growth like in a forest they're hunting there's protein there's animal protein there's you know and it's like <laughs> could we ever have a city where i could hunt a bird in a forest i don't know i mean <laughs> I, I i think we'd you know it's funny um i think we're so far removed from knowing how to do things like that at least in the city, like the most of the population. Um, and then we have no educational system that permits or that gives a space, I should say, permits, gives a space for communicating um, how you would safely hunt and trap in a city. Uh, or uh, it's, it's even even growing a, a garden you see a little bit of in uh, in the you know like with school gardens now you see a little bit of that and that's that's certainly a step better than 20 years ago when there was none of that um, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we if if that was part of our 
public education system in the city where kids were getting outside and learning how to how to how to care for the ecosystem and that was part of their biology lesson was maybe pruning things or maybe mm. I, I i don't i maybe it's i i i know that you know, there probably are um a fair amount of people in your audience who are vegetarians but just the idea it's like well you know there there are there are um potential meat sources in the in the city i mean you look yeah like, i mean i just wanted to push the boundaries a little bit i i, I know that guys audience i know it's not great to kill animals um well i don't know if i know that um i do eat meat but i understand where y'all are coming from too no i and i i i was a vegetarian for 20 years and i actually i'm not now but part of it was because that my part of my switch was because i i felt like i was visiting so many places and being and invited into people's homes and 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 given foods and i felt i either and i would eat a little bit to be i mean meat based foods and and i would but i still felt strange i was like gosh i'm really not a not accepting and appreciating the culture that i'm a part of here and then I was in Latin America in general, and there's a huge history of 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 different different meats that that are prepared and and different recipes and and I wasn't appreciating any of that, and I was like, "Wow, you know okay well i'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm, gonna I'm going to reintroduce uh um these meats to my diet so that I can appreciate all these different cultures. And now I explore different cultures around the world when I cook and, and prepare foods. Um, I spent a lot of time in Portugal recently, which has a long tradition of sausages and, and um, smoked meats. And if I had been there and been a vegetarian, it would have been, it seemed like it would have been a real shame. I would have missed out that whole, that whole element. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I hear but, you. I, but I think about I've been I've thought about recently. We have a um, you know a Lyme disease problem in in New York, and and one of the real issues is are the deer populations that are they just kind of serve as buses for for ticks. They kind of move ticks. You don't necessarily get Lyme. You don't get Lyme disease from a deer, but they they're kind of moving ticks which are carrying these Lyme disease, and then you get the uh, it might the tick might go to the a vole or and then the vole would, would you know go to to um you would be distributing the ticks closer to you and then you get that anyway there's a whole process of <laughs> but um and so control of deer populations which n- no longer have um coyotes and wolves to control their populations at least in the city we don't have coyotes and wolves and so well, what do you do? I mean, I, and, and, and so that's been a real a big conversation around uh, yeah. wildlife management, you know, culling deer populations. It's interesting because we talk about culling deer populations. It's just like removing. And it's it just, even the language is very much like this, uh, the language of, 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 
of agriculture, like a green revolution sort of agriculture, was going to kill everything that, that that is in the way. You know, all the, and so that's how this is as well. They're in the way. They're causing problems. We're just going to call those populations. What if you instead manage those populations, and and they were that 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 removal that was actually a and this sounds strange, but what if what if they were what if that was part of the of the lunch program? That, I the, love that. I, I love that you go there. And it, we should at very least be modeling what is the animal protein potential of this mm-hmm. excess, uh, because I mean venison is just a wonderful lean meat, and I I used to have friends growing up whose family hunted, and they would have the freezer, you know, and his mother would make deer, deer lasagna. It was like so good. No, I and 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 what if we were kind of thinking about these populations this way? Like, you know, what if they? What if it was kind of like game management? And mm-hmm. um, and but controlled at a level, and then you kind of keep things, and then you can move deer to some areas, and maybe have you know wild, you maybe a. Plants that the that the deer appreciate, and I um, as part of your appreciate more than more than uh, more than the plants of the city as part of your park system. Um, so the deer are coming through, and you're and you're harvesting, and then maybe you, while the deer are there, you're excluding those populations. Um, I mean, sorry, excluding human populations while you're doing, um, you know game harvesting activities uh, that are that would be dangerous to people um, so I, I am potentially dangerous you don't want someone to get shot or um, but yeah I, I, I love that you went here see this is why we have this show is to just like kind of try to push the boundaries and say the things that we're like a little bit embarrassed to say like I've been ruminating on this idea and it's like it seems so unacceptable, but well, I I I don't know. I mean, I I, I mean, I say if you want to think about wildlife, I think about there's there are definitely squirrel populations as well. Oh yeah, oh there's and, lots of squirrels, and you know it's it's widely, <laughs> but we have taboos, and I and know we're not a, not allowed to eat anything that's not packaged. I know, I know, and and. Hey, listeners, we are not advocating <laughs> squirrel hunting in your city, um, <laughs> but we just want to think about it. Thanks for tuning in to Talk Dirty. Check us out next month where we talk about cannabis. All right, see you all there.